Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. and welcome to Inside the Episode. Today, David and I are going inside the episode titled, I Choose How I Feel. And I'm choosing to feel great about how this episode went. That's great, me too. How about you? Fantastic. why not? So for this episode, you spent the beginning talking about the function of the subconscious mind. Mm. And as a refresher for our longtime listeners who can probably never hear it enough, and maybe as an introduction to our newer audience, can you talk about what those functions are and how being aware of how the subconscious mind works can help a person move forward. Yeah, I sure can. So, you know, the, 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 like biologically and historically, the subconscious mind is really a way for us to be safe in an unsafe world. You know, it, it developed a few million years ago in biology, and it's a couple hundred thousand years old in human beings. And it was, it's, it's designed so that it notices something that's a threat for a person. So then um, there's an automatic response, you know, it's fight, flight, or freeze. So the whole idea behind it was an instantaneous response to danger so that the species can procreate and continually move, you know, move forward where there's no thinking really involved in its own survival. But what ends up happening is over, over millennia, um, over a long period of time, the threats change for human beings mostly, right? And as those threats change, the subconscious mind gets programmed with different levels of threat, different kinds of threat, different meanings about threat. And it's unique in the idea that it can't reject anything that is placed in it. It can only accept information that it's put in it. And then it takes that information and it looks for patterns of behavior and patterns of our experience to determine how it's going to respond. And it responds underneath our conscious thought. So it's always scanning. It's always looking for anything that might be danger. Well, if we look at just the general idea behind it, it's anything that is unknown is danger because it doesn't have a pattern to deal with something that's not unknown. If we've never experienced it before, we don't have a pattern to deal with it, right? So the idea is that for like for people that are going after success, you're going after things in your life that you've never done before. You're thinking differently. You're behaving differently. You're setting different goals. You're achieving things. You're doing things outside of the comfort zone of maybe the family or the people that you're around. And your subconscious mind starts to go haywire because it doesn't have patterns to deal with this. So what it does is it causes you to see specific things in your environment, feel a certain way about it with the idea to retract you so that you deal with what's known versus what's unknown. And that's where so many people get tripped up because they follow that emotion and they follow that inner guidance from the subconscious mind versus the direction that they want to go because nobody ever told them that this process is happening inside of them. Yeah, I think it's a really tangible idea and the way you lay it out is so easy to understand that it's always working in the background, always scanning, always always looking, and always trying to keep you to what's comfortable and safe. And a lot of times in this journey that we're on, for people that want to be you know, really successful, they want to be elite, they're going to have to follow that desire, that intuition within them. And a lot of times that subconscious mind is 
sort of working against them, if it you is, will. It is. Yeah. It, not with the intention of being against right. them. Right. But with the intention of safety and certainty, yeah. right? Human beings love to feel certain, and we want to feel safe. But that is relative based on a person's life experience and the things that they were taught. But the subconscious mind develops patterns very early on in order to establish the parameters of that, and it doesn't let go of them easy. We have to really be conscious about the new patterns that we're creating in our life and how we feel about them in order to have a different experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, those who've attended any of your live events, specifically your Art of Success Summit that you recently did, have seen you teach around the financial set point. And in this episode, you talked about how set points are set up in our life in a variety of different ways. There's social interaction set points, weight set points, health set points, relationships even. Since these areas can be such an important driver of how a person feels about life in general, can you share why this awareness around set points is crucial to a person's success? Yeah, I can. So let's take, let's take a financial set point uh, because I think that everybody can relate to that to some degree. What's really interesting about a financial set point is what it really kind of is. So what it is, is how we experienced money coming into our life, or let's say into our parents' lives when we were little kids, how they earned money, what their views were around money, what they did with that money. Also, how they viewed people that had more money than them and how they viewed people that had less money than them. And then, of course, the extremes of both of those, people that were really wealthy or maybe people that were completely broken and and homeless, you know, really down and out. Then we hear the opinions, the beliefs, and the values of those individuals that raised us around the idea of money. All of these things come together to create this internal set point of this is about how much I expect to earn when I go out into the world, but we don't even really know what that number is. It's more of an actual feeling based on the way we set up our life to actually live our life. The things that we do with money, what do we buy with money? What do we invest in? How much debt we have or how much debt we don't have? How we actually earn the money that we're bringing in? And a big one, does it need to be difficult to make money or does it need to be easy to make money, right? So those things form the idea of this set point. Now, if I want to go out and I want to earn more money and I don't realize that I have a subconscious set point that says, no, the the safe amount of money to earn or the equivalent of how you see yourself as your internal value is X amount. Let's say it's 100,000 a year, right? If I start to try to go beyond 100,000 a year, my subconscious mind is going to kick in and it's going to try to distract me or cause me not to do the things that are necessary to break that goal. So we'll see people, they'll come up with a plan and their, their, their approach is hard work. They're going to go out and they're going to work harder and harder and harder. They'll start to get the income up above the set point, even though they don't know the set point's there, but it's more than they want than they're currently earning, let's say. And then at some point they get tired and it comes back down and they'll try it again and they'll get it up and then it comes back down and they'll get it up and it comes back down. Sometimes it'll actually go below what, what they're actually earning. The idea around that is that there subconsciously there is a behavior pattern that is controlling how they actually earn money. And if that's never addressed, if they don't understand that and address it, they'll never get above that, that amount to any significant uh, uh, destination, let's say, 
and actually keep it there because their subconscious mind is always saying, no, you really need to be at 100,000. <clears> it's like some people that struggle with their weight and they're, or maybe they're too thin and they stay at a certain weight or they're too heavy and they stay at a certain weight and they try and try and try to break it, but they always keep coming back down to that number because there is some meaning at that number in their mind, just like with money, that says this is exactly where they need to be. And if that does not change, then the external experience that they're having doesn't usually change permanently. So it has to be addressed internally. You have to be aware of it and how it works. And then you can change it externally. And when you change it externally, it'll stick. Yeah, and I'm assuming, I mean, clearly this came from somewhere within your childhood, your parents, how they talked about money, sure. how they looked at other people who had money, didn't have money. You know, I grew up probably lower middle class, if you will, and I was thinking back to, you know, my dad would look at the wealthy people and kind of talk down upon them. But I also always felt like I wanted to be wealthy, like there was a part of me that wanted to get out of the trailer, wanted to go out and do my own thing right. and, and start, you know, start like leaving an impact and maybe carry that on in a legacy for my kids and their kids and so on. And, and it reminds me of your teaching around uh, the the J curve and the generational wealth. And I'm sure people have heard this podcast. You've spoken about it before. It's basically, you know, you just, if you're that marble that's hanging out in the bottom of that J rolling back and forth, you never get enough to launch yourself out from that. But more and more people, it seems like nowadays are doing that. They're like breaking away. And I remember thinking, um, you know, my mom worked very hard, but she made very little. And with my first job, I think I made more than her right out of the gate. Like yeah. within six months, I already had eclipsed what she would make in, in 12. And I never really felt bad about that, which was good. And she didn't make me feel bad about it. But I can see how a lot of people might look at that as I don't want to earn more than my parents or I don't want my aunts and uncles to think that I'm, you know, better. I'm better. Yeah. And it really is a conundrum that I think many people deal with. And that that's that set point you're talking about that always trying to be pulled back to that comfortable place, whether you're just barely over it or barely under it, it seems to be running in the background. You don't even know it. It, it, it is. And I like to use, um, there were stories that I heard from my grandparents and people that were my grandparents age, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that had their early productive adult years uh, in the 30s during the Depression, right? Late 20s, um, up to, the, say, the mid-30s or so. And there was an interesting phenomenon that I used to hear in these stories. And one of them was that not maybe not everybody on the block was experiencing the Depression in the same way. So you may have, a, a lot of times there were very large families back there, 10, 11 children, this type of thing. And mom and dad were completely crushed by the depression. They may be in soup lines or bread lines. They're, they're scrounging for clothes for the kids. They're barely, barely making it. And they're doing everything that they can in their awareness to actually do it. And they come home, they're having dinner or whatever. And one of the kids says, oh, Johnny's father down the street got a new Buick today, right? The parents feel about this big. And I heard, I remember this one story where the mother said to the children, um, one was, it was somehow or another, they kind of degraded what Johnny's father did, but the emphasis was put on their father. And they said, at least your father earns an honest living, mm. right? So the indication was that he got this Buick or whatever, and it wasn't honest that dad works really hard. And even though he doesn't make much, at least he's honest. So there's, there is a, um, an attributing good value placed on the poverty that they're actually experiencing. Now, the kids don't know what the parents are going through, but they learn the lesson that they were taught. 
based on the emotion that's going on at this table, and it sticks. So the kid now grows up, and he thinks that it's wrong to go out and and be wealthy or do better than the parents do. So he maintains the same kind of level the parents are at and teaches it to his kids. But none of them know what it was like to actually have to work through the Depression or why they could or could not get a job, what they could do or not do and earn, earn money, and it gets passed down from one generation to the next. And then you get three, four generations below that, and somebody's like, why are we living this way? I want to do something more. And they start to do it, and the parents react horribly to them, as if they did something personally wrong to them by wanting to go out and better their life. Almost like a, a, like a direct insult. Like, you're saying I wasn't good enough as a father or a mother to provide for you. You have to go out and you have to earn more money to do this, and you're probably doing it, and it's not even ethical or something like that. Wow. And those are the kinds of... of crazy belief systems that are passed down around money. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's insane when you stop to think about it and you you really get a sense of, I love the, you know, why are we doing it this way? Why don't we do it differently? There, there's got to be something better. Generation after generation, you just do it. And I'm not saying that this generation that's coming up isn't working hard. They're just working differently. Different. And it's very easy for me, you know, who had some backbreaking jobs, working on the railroad, hot summers, you know, doing all those things as a kid. And then seeing, you know, like my daughter's doing, you know, like food service or maybe, you know, not getting out there, not getting their hands dirty, but they're just working smarter. And they're probably making the same wage now that I was making back then. So it's just, it's really fascinating to see how that works and how that those generational cues just keep coming back around until somebody says, look, enough is enough. I'm going to change this and I'm going to work towards doing something differently. Yeah. yeah, You know, the other thing T is I think that the kids today, because of the internet, social media technology, are exposed to a lot of different lifestyles that we were not exposed to as kids. We just were not exposed to those lifestyles as being a reality in somebody's life. And today, it's everywhere. Like, you're exposed to almost every lifestyle there is because of the technology and social media. And I also think that there is a phenomenon that's happening because we have more millionaires today than we've ever had before, but more people are making it okay to earn a lot of money. So... It was at one time, it, oh, it was those people over there that earned a lot of money. Well, those people aren't so far away anymore because of the technology and the social evolution that we have as a society. So it's changing belief systems at a different level also as we as we begin to progress forward. Yeah, it sure is. And that's a good segue into, you know, choosing how we can feel. Because uh, I know there's a lot of, you know, young people out there who are maybe feeling bad about themselves, always seeing it on social media, comparisonitis, doing all these other sorts of things. Um, I think in the episode, what may be difficult for people to understand is that we have this ability to choose how we experience everything in our life, the good, the bad, the ugly. You have the choice. And you shared a practice in the episode that has helped me quite often. I mean, not often enough since it's a constant work in progress for me. (laughs) But, you know, when faced with a triggering situation, something's got you triggered, take a step back and ask a simple question. What's the truth in this? Mm -hmm. Or if you react negatively to something, it's whose pattern is this? even? Like, where is this coming from? The truth is we're taught these reactions. You had to have learned them somewhere. Why is that distinction important and those questions important when choosing how we feel in a situation? Well, first of all, the way that we unconsciously respond in, in feeling or emotion to any given thing 
is a pattern that we picked up from people that raised us. It's, it's either a direct pattern or a mixture of some kind of pattern. We mimic those because those are our parents. Those are the people that we're that you know are in the, that kind of authority in our mind, and we want to be uh, get approval from our parents. So we do what our parents tell us to do, and we adopt these ways of feeling and the meanings that we that we actually give to things. However, if we're going to step out and we're going to do something different, I think once we begin to understand that the experience that we have around anything is in direct correlation to either the conscious or the unconscious meaning that we're giving to that thing, we start to realize we can change it by changing the meaning. So if I previously had a terrible response to something where I was really triggered and I was very emotional about it, and I realize the reason that I'm emotional about it is because I'm giving it this meaning like, oh, maybe somebody did something to me, or I'm not that good of a person, or I'm ashamed of myself, or I feel guilty. If I understand that I can change the meaning to that and have a different experience, then not only do I want to change the meaning, it almost feels like something that is an absolute necessity for me to do something different in my life. And it is. There, there is a tremendous amount of truth around that because as we change the way that we feel, because we've changed the meaning, we also change the opportunity and what it is that we're experiencing. So many times people have had tremendous opportunities, but because of the way they feel about them, they don't take advantage of them. They don't even know that they can. But when you start to change the meaning and you change the way that you feel, you change the way that you see something or the way that you perceive it, you now see the benefit in something. You can take advantage of it and you can actually expand your life. Yeah, and the reality is these things happen every day of your life. Every so day. Every, every day, day you're going to be faced with something that could easily send you spiraling because of a pattern you learned from your mom, your dad, your caregiver. And if you don't recognize it today, guess what? There's probably another one coming right around the corner in the next five minutes and you can try it again. Let's say a person isn't recognizing it. They're probably not listening to this show if they don't <laughs> recognize it. But if a, let, let's let's do the reverse for the people out there listening. Let's say that they do recognize this pattern and they say, okay, so now I know that I'm aware of it. Step one, okay. done. What do I do with that next? Do I just practice and try to apply what's the truth and whose pattern is it? I know it's my mom's. What do you do once you get to that point to fix it or correct it? Well, so you've, have you, I, I'm, I'm assuming you've heard this before because I know that I've said it. You've heard happiness is a choice. Correct. Right? Okay. Correct. So let's say that somebody says that to a person that has never really heard it before yeah. and they're thinking about it and they're thinking, well, how the fuck is happiness of a choice? If every time somebody does this, I feel this way, or if this happens, I feel this way. I'm not choosing to feel terrible. It's just an odd, you know, that's, that's what this experience actually is. Then they realize that they're creating it based on the meaning that they're giving to themselves. So now it's kind of like, oh, okay. So you're mean you're telling me I can literally change how I experience the world so that I can be happy, so that I can be excited, so that life can be fun and adventurous. What is the step that I have to do to do that? You ask yourself, what is the truth about the thing that you're experiencing? So there is, you know, Anything could happen and any person could give it a meaning. It doesn't mean that it's true, right? So if we want to find out what is the truth about something, one of the things that we can do is we can look at the law of cause and effect and we can ask ourselves, based on the law of cause and effect, what is this? What actually is this, right? Is it true that the, the way that the meaning that I'm giving it, is that actually true? Is it true that 
the way that I feel about this is the only way to feel about it? Or is there another option on the table that I'm just not aware of? And if I say, well, what is the actual truth about this? And I start to really think about it from that perspective, I will see that generally every time there is a different way of thinking about something and there's a different way of feeling about it. And then it becomes my choice as to which one I want to use. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that cause and effect law is always in your face and it's always working. And you're one of those, you know, powerful masters who's taught us all of that. And to be able to, in the moment, understand and step back and take that powerful pause is, is crucial, I think, for any sort of growth I think so. trajectory for every person. And it's just, it's fascinating because you know, I judge myself a little bit because I don't do it quick enough. It's gotten a whole lot better. I've shortened down the time right. where I'll take a pause, but I want it to almost be instantaneous, but that's the work that I try. And like I said earlier, if you don't master it right in this moment, guess what? There's another one coming down the road five minutes from now. So you'll have another opportunity day in and day out to right. practice that. But if you hold cause and effect in front of you and realize, don't go to that victim place because I see a lot of people go into victim blaming, like, oh, it's something, somebody is doing something to me. If you own the fact that guess what you're doing it to yourself because you're assigning meaning to something that may or may not be there i think that's a that's a powerful lesson in itself so yeah so let can let me i just want to say something so yeah, that's yeah, really sure. clear when we say that what we're saying is that the way you're experiencing something is under your control that's your responsibility if somebody shoots you you're not you're not 100%. you're not causing them to shoot you right if somebody calls you a name or hurts you or steals from you you're not actually causing that but how you respond to it is your choice yes and that can determine whether you are free or you fall into a victimized pattern in your life that people then struggle to get out of yeah good distinction yeah thanks for clarifying that that's perfect so let's shift for a moment to sales uh, this is a really shifting statement for anyone out there who has a program of not wanting to be too salesly when they're pitching their products because yeah. we have a lot of people who you know who are are in a business where they're selling to potential clients. And you have said for a long, long time, sales is not something you do to someone. It's something you do for them. Right. How did that help you become more comfortable when you were first starting out in your own sales journey to where you are today? Well, it was a weird thing. I, I had been in sales on and off most of my life, and I just never realized it, right? So I had a paper route, I had to sell papers, I had to collect the money for the papers. I did various different things I won't get into. It, it just, it, all kinds of different odds and end jobs, right? That in some point or another, it involved sales to some degree. So when I start my business, um, I, for some reason, I was like, I don't really wanna sell, I just wanna teach. And I knew in the beginning that I was going to have to, and that was fine. I accepted that. And all of a sudden, I was getting more and more resistant to picking up the phone and actually selling. And I didn't know why. I really didn't know. I just knew that that phone became 5,000 pounds. And I went for a whole week one time and not made one call. And towards the end of the week, I realized I can't do this again. I have to fix this now. I can't do another week of this. I'll be out of business. Right. So... I called my mentor and I said, I'm having this problem. I don't know why I'm having the problem. And he said, well, I know why you're having the problem. And, and I was kind of shocked. And I said, you do? And he said, yeah. He said, you think sales is something you do to someone. He said, it's not. It's something you do for them. Now, I have said this to, I can't tell you how many people in my career, but I don't know that anybody's ever had the reaction that I had when I heard that because when he said to me, you think it's something you do to someone, 
I did not know that I had a belief that sales was actually doing something that was not very nice or actually slimy to a person. I didn't know I had that belief. <clears throat> Once I realized that I could easily tell where it came from because I had heard stuff like that my whole life about salespeople, but I didn't know that I actually believed that. And then when he said, it's not, it's something you do for them, I had already had the experience of maybe two years, I would say, of dabbling in coaching. And I realized what coaching was. It was really helping somebody buy into a new belief for themselves to do something that empowers their life. And all of a sudden, I saw the two come together in my mind. I'm like, this is nothing more than a coaching conversation. It's just the end result getting them to a yes or a no for what's good for them. And there's a transaction of money in this, in this uh, uh, process of coaching, which we know is a sale. So for me, it was an easy flip. Like it was... I totally understood. I saw something completely different in its truth. And prior to that, I was under this delusion that it was totally something different. It was life-changing for me because from that point on, I never had a problem with sales again. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it's your driving statement too. You know, how can I help this person? It's what you do. It's right. what you do best. So right. when you would get on calls, you've mentioned before, or when you're working with someone, how can I help this person is running on a loop in your head. And for me, when I was in sales in, in this company, that was when I made my easiest sales was when I just got on there and said, how can I help this person? Just right. be of service, be of service and the rest will take care of itself. And yeah. it's interesting because, you know, my experience with sales wasn't that they were slimy. It was more, you just don't do it because you don't want to be an inconvenience, right? Sure, so that's the, sure. and my mom who worked in the banking industry for, you know, 30 plus years, you know, towards the latter part of, of her tenure there, she had to open up a certain amount of savings. She had quotas, savings accounts, checking did. account. Yeah. So she opened up three for my daughter, <laughs> three for my other daughter, because she had to hit those quotas and, and she just hated it. Every step of the way hated yeah. it. And it's because she felt she was an inconvenience and pushing, not coming from the standpoint of, I can help this person get an account started so they can start saving for their dream car, their dream house, their dream vacation, instead of, oh, I'm just too, I don't want to inconvenience exactly. people. It's just, it's fascinating how that mind works. So if people are having a hard time picking up the 5,000 pound phone, that little piece of advice right there is worth the price of admission from this right. episode and alone. The, the idea of being rude or inconveniencing someone or talking to somebody else about money or asking them for something, those are middle-class, working-class mindsets where we have to be very cautious of what other people think so we won't lose our job or so the, the neighbors won't talk bad about us. Or if you go back to ancient times, that we won't be accused of being a witch and being burned at the stake because this is where that stuff actually comes from. And then it filters down into every single thing that we do in life. Fascinating. Well, near the end of this episode, you talked about why people are stuck and oftentimes the resistance that they face and they can get unstuck by just immediately going into gratitude. And we talk about gratitude a lot on this show about whatever the situation might be. Mm. Gratitude. I'm so happy and grateful now that whatever it is, that's the ticket to getting out of that. It could be the most horrific experience of their life that they're facing, but if they go into gratitude, they open the door for a way to see themselves through it. And it's painful, but it's part of the process. And you said that in the episode so eloquently. So if a person is resisting something right now or they're attracting some nonsense in their life day in and day out, how can they get into gratitude right now? Get into a gratitude that's going to help them see the silver lining, if you will, that's inside whatever it might be they face. So when I was a kid, I learned about gratitude through going to church, right? I was raised Catholic. And 
I always had a problem with gratitude. I also had a problem with forgiveness because in my mind, the thing that I was not grateful for only meant one thing, right? The reason that I was not forgiving somebody was because they did something that only meant one thing. I, I was associating meanings to things. In my mind, it didn't have any other meaning. This was an absolute, right? When I started to study and learn, and I realized that there was a law, a law called the law of polarity, and that everything had two sides to it. So if you were experiencing something that was not good or not nice or not beneficial, it also had another side that was. And the problem is, is that we're not really trained to look at that other side. We're given absolutes of what is not good in our life, and it's not always 100% true, there's another side. So when I learned that, I started looking at the different sides of things that I was experiencing realize, and then realizing I have every reason in the world to be grateful because even though I'm experiencing pain because of some change or whatever I'm going on here, there is a great benefit over here, right? So it wasn't just, hey, do this anyway because it's the right thing to do. There was a reason behind doing it where there actually was something to be grateful for. And I think most people don't know that. And when they learn it, it's so much easier to practice something because it doesn't feel like you're going against your own internal way of defending yourself or keeping yourself safe. Yeah, I mean, gratitude is a huge part of, of your life. It's a huge part of this company, and it's a huge part of our core values. It should be a part of everybody's daily practice, really digging into what kind of person you are and how grateful things are. Even in the darkest of times, you can yeah, find something absolutely. to look forward to. Well, I will say that this has been great. Um, we can all choose how <laughs> I feel. I choose, I feel really good, good right I'm now about this. I, I got my, uh, I got, I got my uh, daily ass whooping here and um, this is really powerful. And I j would just leave everybody out there with, you know, you know, one of the things that you've said, David, about, you know, the, the, the card you carried in your pocket for all those years. I'm so happy and grateful now that make that a part of your daily practice and good things are going to happen. So uh, thanks for coming inside. You bet, man. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.